As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you Why mad? Progress. Okay. Hello, Luisa. Welcome back. Hi, Jake. How you doing? I'm good. Um, if you are a listener to the show... Thank you for listening to the episodes we did last week where we got really drunk and redid <laughs> the episodes that we <laughs> fucked up the first time. Um, Yo, I didn't listen to them. Do I sound horribly drunk? Because I was very drunk. I also had been like working like 14 hour days and then doing this shit after. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, do I just sound like a psychopath with a mushy brain? Like, what's No, on? you don't ever sound like um, impaired drunk. I didn't really listen oh, to them either, so I'm going to the dark here, but I was there. <laughs> but my impression of you is that you don't go like so much like, come on, man. You just are like, you picture Luisa at a bar. It's late at night. <laughs> she's drinking a glass of whiskey and somebody brings up a, a fucking topic and she's like, Holy shit! And just just going the <laughs> fuck. You just go off harder when you're. Drunk. <laughs> sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's because you have a fucking interesting brain, which is like the premise of this show. You know, is that we talk about cool stuff and stuff. But when you're drunk, you're not. Um, I don't think that you're like. Uh, no, it's not bad for pod. It's good for podcasting. You're kind yeah. of on overdrive. But like, we did like three hours the night that totally. we redid the fucking. We did we when we redid the podcasts that we fucked up. Up, we did more time and content <laughs> than the stuff that we had done to begin with. It's kind of cool because you kind of realize that um, rehearsing is helpful. <laughs> you know, like I don't know, I don't know how to frame it exactly, but like you know, there is something cool about the fact that podcasts, especially loose ones like ours that are just based on conversation, they. Uh, are based on very little planning and they are kind of like of the moment and that's cool and enjoyable and I like podcasts like that but as someone who also likes podcasts that are very well planned and thought through and the hosts like did the research and they're gonna walk you through points and shit I liked redoing our podcast because we already kind of like knew the points we wanted to hit yeah and like it seemed better structured <laughs> than the first version which made me think like holy shit Maybe we should like practice sober and then record drunk every time. <laughs> I've thought about this. I mean, you know, have you ever just wished you could redo a conversation? Like that's what it feels like getting yes. able to do. But also, you know what it feels like is doing stand up because that's like mm. what you're doing when you do stand up is presenting something as having kind of come out of your mouth for the first time, but you're, yes. you did it over and over and over again. So th now you know what it feels like to be a comedian. I, uh, <laughs> when you realize, like, oh, shit, it does work better if I run the joke multiple times. <laughs> or if I just have the same argument, like, a hundred times in a row, eventually I'll get better at it or whatever. It's fucking weird. Um, I was, uh, but this <laughs> kind of reminded me of something. A friend of mine who's also a podcaster and my roommate, I don't know why I'm being vague about this, my friend Sean, uh, <laughs> I came home. I think your mic might have turned off. I came home one time and i was like what are you doing because he was like talking real weird into his fucking computer and i guess what had happened is that he had got a really good guest for his show and he recorded the entire conversation and um then afterwards he realized that he only lost his side of the audio so, <laughs> so, so did he try to fill it in dude he oh did my God. it he Hilarious. fucking put it out he put out an entire thing and if you like i guess i don't know i've ever listened to it but i i guess it 
you it can't worked. tell. It just sounds like him going, ah, yes, and then what happened? Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Good for Sean. That's great. I, I love know. that. It's so Everybody funny. understands the, I mean, anybody who's ever lost a podcast episode knows you, you will do anything to put it back together. <laughs> yeah, man, especially because like, I don't know, West Elm Cable is kind of right in our wheelhouse. So people were yeah. like, what is why you bad going to say about this? <laughs> Ah, Dude, so can I tell you something? So this is a weird one. I almost don't want to address it because I... <sighs> okay, so this is a weird thing. Keep in mind that I'm not a performer. I know that I'm in a public forum right now, but it's not my main thing, right? And so I do sometimes bristle at people being like overly familiar and demanding my time and attention because they listen, you know, and have like something to say back to me. Yeah. And I say this to someone who's like, also, like, we take emails, you know, like, we want to talk back to you. We want to hear what you're saying. But it is weird when you, like, DM me personally <laughs> to be like, here's a thing I disagreed with. And I'm like, I, I don't know you. Am I supposed to get into this argument with you via DM? I don't know. So I didn't respond to this person, but I had one person, I believe a male identifying person who was like, they DM'd me to be like, demanding explanations over my statements about the Aziz thing, right? Because I guess they felt like if Aziz was like, if this person was uncomfortable in Aziz's presence and apartment and interacting with him, then isn't that abuse? And isn't that like something that makes him bad guy? And I almost like didn't want to bring it up, but I kind of do, Jake, because tell me, like, do you think that I'm wildly off base here where I, where I don't think like, you know, I think we're all people need to learn the skill of like when something makes you uncomfortable, you need to make the decision to remove yourself from the situation before it gets beyond uncomfortable and worse. And I think that having a bad date with somebody who like there are multiple steps of consent here. You went to a restaurant to meet him and then you had a good time and then he invited you back to his apartment. You agreed to go back to the apartment. You get to the apartment. You don't like how he's acting. So you make an attempt to say, hey, slow it down. Let's do this. And then he slows it down. We watch TV. Everything seems fine. So he makes another move half an hour later or 20 minutes later. If you don't like the fact that he made a second move after you told him, I don't want to do anything tonight, then you're, it is on you (laughs) to be like, you know what? You fucking violated my boundary that I clearly stated and it's time for me to leave. And so what I'm saying with this is these situation based on what I know of what was publicly said, because obviously I wasn't there. This woman who was on a date with him kept feeling uncomfortable multiple times and they kept staying around. And then I want to propose that that's like mixed messages that you're sending to the other person, which doesn't mean that Aziz is not a piece of shit, but it doesn't mean that this interaction makes him a predator. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't make the situation abuse because she didn't know to remove herself before she got more uncomfortable. I think it's pretty clear, like that he is not motivated abusively and that he Mm -hmm. partially because of what you're saying, the mixed feedback kind of uh like arrived at doing something weird and i also don't think like i think if he had actually done something that you could say was like abuse with a capital a then it wouldn't matter 
how what she did or yeah, yeah of course. because it's abuse is abuse no matter whether it happens to yeah. somebody who has all their fucking wits about them or someone exactly. that doesn't but he didn't he he tried he tried it sounds like he tried to do something consensually but was unaware that the person was not like consenting because they weren't saying it out loud they exactly. were giving consent but then not really like wanting to do that in which yeah. case you can't really like look at that and the thing with whatever there's guys that get like accused of you know abuse or whatever i think that there's a real fucking bloodthirsty tendency to want to go we caught like somebody who's like secretly a fucking very ill motivated like evil person and it's like yeah. Those people are out there, like, somewhere, but by and large, yeah. and especially in this case, it's very hard for you to look at Aziz and go, oh, this guy's, like, fucking planning, you know, how to manipulate women and stuff. He's just a fucking person, and, you know. Well, there's just, like, a lot of things that go into this, you know, like, to go into the rhizome thing, like, I just think that it is less useful in an example like the Aziz situation. Again, I'm not equating this with a person who rapes you or beats you or fucking gaslights you or manipulates you into horrible things. I'm not equating this. I'm saying like something like the Aziz situation where you just met this person and you are misreading each other's signals and you are misstepping over each other's boundaries and you are misreading each other's intentions. That is not really one person's fault or the other. It is usually both people's fault. And it is not that it's your fault because, oh my God, you're culpable. But like, because of all the things that go into forming your idea of what these interactions should be. So if we think about this Aziz person, Aziz and the woman in the article, the woman has had society telling her her whole life that she is supposed to appear interested, but not too easy and not too slutty. So like show him that you're interested, but play hard to get, but like fucking mixed signals. That's what women are taught. Give mixed signals, show interest, but then deny access, right? Because if you give too much access, then you're a whore and nobody will value that and nobody will see you as wifey material. So she's going around with that. At the same time that she's going around with this guy is famous, he's probably used to everybody wants to fuck him. Like, does he actually like me or is this just another conquest? So she's full of narratives and ideas of how she's supposed to behave with these mixed signals. At the same time, consider that he is a person like, honestly, there's like a sex advice person that I like, but she recommended Aziz's book recently. And I was just like, oh, my God, what are you doing? <laughs> because Aziz is also what a stupid a man. He's a stupid fucking man yeah, who also has been influenced like by the things that porn shows you about how like, oh, women want to be overpowered and they want to have the, your fingers in their mouth and they want you to dominate them and choke them. Uh, he has been told by society that women want a powerful man who's decisive and makes a move and doesn't ask to kiss you and doesn't ask about consent because that's not romantic. So... I just feel like it is not useful to frame every missed interaction or every misstep in interactions as they must all be one person is an abuser and one person is a victim. When in reality, most of us are fucking dumb and we're walking around banging our heads into a wall blindfolded because we are not really cognizant of all of the things that go into what makes a person's expectations for behavior for relationships right yeah so um, it just really annoyed me i'm sorry for this person who dm'd me i'm not mad but it did annoy me because it was such a like 
uh, holier than thou approach where they were just like, how could you possibly not see that this is abuse? And it's like, dude, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't think it is. And I don't think that it is helpful to that young woman or to any of the young women that come after her to say that every time a man crosses your boundaries, it is abuse. It's not. It is a time when you need to learn to step up and fucking manage your expectations before we started or their Uh, expectations. Yeah. I mean, just to speak on that for a second, like people have, I, I, I hate to like express this because this this is going to make it sound like I'm about to do a fucking stupid cancel culture rant or whatever, like people do or whatever. But that's not where I'm going with this. It's just that it is true that for for whatever reason, something that happens with the internet because of the anonymity of it and the way that people feel able to express themselves through it is that people really get like bloodthirsty with it and they want to like reduce things to to levels just completely beyond their complexity or or before their complexity, I guess rather. Yeah. So like with this stuff, I mean, I was thinking about this because we did one of the first episodes of the show we ever did was about Aziz. And yeah. um, I saw somebody like retweet it at one point, like, I don't know, a year or two ago. And they said, oh, you should listen to this podcast. They totally tore him to shreds on this podcast. We did not. Right. And it's but yeah. it's like people even listen to us talk about this yeah. stuff. And if like the nuance is like clearly going out the window and it's, it's you know, yeah. you hear what you want to hear. You and, hear what you want to hear. And we're yeah, leftists. So, right. so there's people who are like, you know, that means just very like everything is defaulted to anti the yeah. fucking other thing a lot of the times. And so people that like, I mean, it's weird because like people that are, are that hate me because they're stupid fucking Nazi podcast fans or whatever have this image mm-hmm. of me that is like, I'm tearing down Aziz or yeah. whatever. And I don't yeah. fucking see Aziz that way at all. He's a fucking complicated person. He's a pretty funny comic, you know, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes I don't like his shit. But then it's like, you know, people that also agree with you also see things that way sometimes. And yeah. it's just frustrating because that's not what we're doing here. That is not the fucking point, yeah. man. You know, uh, the way that I guess I would frame it is that um, I would tell any woman friend of mine not to date Aziz, right? Like, I would warn her that he is probably not a good person for you to date who's not sensitive or attuned to the ideas of consent or boundaries (laughs) or communication or uh, even a person who sees women as anything beyond objects that's satisfy his need for status and approval and love right so i would 100 percent tell every woman friend of mine no do not date aziz does that mean that i would be like he's an abuser <laughs> no does that mean that i think he's like somebody dude louis is worse fucking all these people who did something that is absolutely breaking consent and boundaries of the workplace and boundaries of like but when you're on a date, there is like something different, you know, um, I don't I asked you before the show, but I don't remember because I was drunk whether we talked. I completely <laughs> forgot we even did the second episode. I thought we only did one. <laughs> yeah. uh, we rock. We rule so much. Also, FYI, for everybody who's listening, because we did those like three hours of podcasting, I missed my fucking flight to PR <laughs> yeah. the next day. And then uh, I gave my mom a heart heart attack because I was flying with my mom and then I didn't like show up to pick her up. So she thought I was fucking dead, Jake. So they came to my house to like wake me up thinking they were finding my dead body in my bed. (laughs) (laughs) My poor family. And then I missed a flight and I had to fucking take a, a flight to Miami. Like I was on standby. Okay. 
to take a flight to Miami where I would also be on standby to take a flight for a DR. <laughs> so it was like a fucking gamble. Yeah. We fucking made it. We were only seven hours late. <laughs> so it was amazing. Um, yeah. But, uh, my bad. That was also kind of my fault. No, that's not your bad. Well, I fucked, I fucked up with, I got really cocky with the way I was recording audio and I fucked up. <laughs> it finally came back and bite me, bit me in the ass and I lost the audio, which is why we had to record that stuff to begin with. And then also the other yeah. thing is when we were up late recording and you were like, I'm going to go to the airport in four hours i was like no you're not so i was like i'm gonna go to the bar and shut it down and then at yeah. four in the morning at last call when they kick me out and i go home i'll call louisa and go hey wake up fucker you gotta go to the airport but i got too drunk at the bar and you forgot <laughs> yeah. okay well don't feel bad because remember that my mom and my brother texted and called and i didn't wake up so yeah. like a phone call would not have helped it was like i think that i was drunk enough that my alarm went off and i just <laughs> drunkenly woke up and turned it off and went back to sleep yeah mm, man so bad yeah but anyway the reason that i bring up the drunken episode is because i don't remember if i said this on the drunken episode but like <laughs> that's fun one of the things that i learned in sex parties is and i think i've said it before on here but it is useful and connected to this idea about the aziz shit um, and about personal responsibility, right? Because there is there is a difference between what is your personal responsibility and what is uh, abuse on the part of another. And you can't control how another person behaves, but you can control how you behave and what you open yourself up to, right? It's not 100% a fact that you will avoid all abusers and predators, but you should fucking think about the things that you can do to avoid abusers and predators as much as possible, right? And one of the things that I learned from going to sex parties was that at one sex party, one of the ones that I liked the best was there was this host and, you know, he was like running all the activities before, which was like face painting and bands singing and whatever the fuck. And then when it's time to like end the activities and everybody's going to go fuck, he does an announcement. Right. And he like he's like, remember the rules of the sex party. The rules are you never touch somebody without asking for their consent. Right. And everybody kind of like nods, like, obviously, you wouldn't touch somebody without their consent. Right. But then the second one was like mind blowing to me, Jake. And I was like in my mid 30s when I heard this. And I was like, yo, no, like this is this should be taught in sex ed at middle school and high school levels. And I know we're going to talk about euphoria, so kind of related, okay? All right. In this this sex party, dude, he says, the second thing is, obviously, we all accept you shouldn't touch anybody without their consent. But the second thing is, if a person comes up to you and tells you, you know, asks you if you want to play, because that's normally the, the phrase in sex parties, or they want to touch phrase. you or whatever, and you think immediately your answer is maybe. Like, I don't know, because I don't know you enough yet. I'm not sure. I haven't assessed the situation, but I'm not repulsed, right? Then his recommendation was, if you feel like your answer is maybe to somebody wanting to touch you, you need to say no. And then the ball is in your court so that if you change your mind later, it is up to you to go up to that person and say, hey, I've been watching you. Do you still want to chat? Do you still want to talk? Whatever. Yeah. Because the problem is when you say maybe to another person, you are putting the ball in their court to decide how to respond to a maybe. Okay. And there are only really two ways to respond to a maybe. One is to be like, okay, fuck you. That's not clear. I'm out. I'm going to go find a person who actually wants to fuck me. Right. 
rare. Or B, two, I don't remember what <laughs> system I was going with. The second one <laughs> is that person will hear a maybe and they will hear, oh, you need convincing. Right? Yeah. So then they will proceed to push a needle and like try to figure out where your boundaries are, which is a very likely way where a person can actually cross one of your serious boundaries. And honestly, that's not their fault entirely because you gave them the idea that they should try to figure out where the line was. Yeah. As opposed to saying, no, I'm not sure. You know, so for now it's a no, maybe we'll talk later. And owning that responsibility of like, I don't always have to be pursued. When somebody pursues me, I can say, I'm not sure right now. So it's a no, maybe I'll come back to you later. Yeah. Right? yeah I mean, like, I've always been very, uh, like up on that because yeah. when I was growing up, I was terrified of uh, taking a stab at something like that and getting it wrong, partially because there's a lot of like autism in my family yeah. and the entire generation and milieu and everything and stuff. And so like there's these there's this conflict, especially if you're a guy where, you know, you're being told like by society and by porn by movies and tv and culture and all this stuff that what you're supposed to do is like have this moment where you just grab a woman and kiss her or whatever and it sucks i I can't remember if i've told this story in the podcast before if we lost on the audio or whatever but i was at a bar a while back overheard this woman and she was telling a story that made me my fucking maybe like want to jump out of my seat and just go like you have to stop doing this because she was saying she went on a date with a guy and the guy asked her if he'd kiss her at the end of it and she was like it was a total turn off i wish he would have just grabbed me or whatever and i was like no like no 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 no." because what the fucking problem is is when you put that into the world like even if that's what you want like fuck you you should tell people that that's what you want and then figure out a way to do it without fucking you can't expect that to happen in the natural in the wild right because the thing is when you're a guy with if you both have the pressure like you're being told that's what you're supposed to do and then simultaneously uh it could go wrong and also if you if it does go wrong you're an abuser but if it goes right yeah. you're like a hero and it's complete you're a bullshit. Man. Yeah, exactly. so like it's this huge high risk fucking thing and i don't want anything to do with it and never have and i hope i haven't you know, i don't get to say whether i did or not but like it sucks i've like yeah. will ask a woman if i can fucking hold her hand and i don't give a shit because yeah. like the if it seems like it's taking the romance out of something to like be, you know, that fucking technical communicative, about it, I don't. If you think care. it's anti-romantic to be communicative, that's a you problem that you need to think about because how are you? You're literally saying you expect your partner to be a mind reader, and it's like you know, then like somewhere. But I, th- I think I'm, I, I think this is the right way to go about things because like you, you get jealous of people because you see them like. You know, you see like the fucking jock and the cheerleader and they're operating like this and you're like, man, they're so hot and they're getting to have sex with each other. You know, wow, sucks that I have to go about this this other way while, you know, apparently people get to like play around in this fucking safe, fertile area that, you know, is only for like normal people or whatever. But the thing is, six months later that woman is accusing that guy of fucking crossing some boundary or whatever because they set up the way they operate to be like that yeah. so it's all bad like i'm i'm this is why i'm totally pro online dating and pro all yes. this stuff i think everyone should get into fucking- it's like overly communicative yeah yeah um and i want to be clear though that it's not just women doing this because it's also men uh men get told a lot of things to assume this is what women want you know like this is what i'm trying to say that like aziz 
sounds like a dude who at some point because of porn or because of the guys he hangs out with or the women he dated, he bought into this idea that he's not supposed to ask if he can kiss you. He's supposed to just go for it. He's supposed to just choke you. He's supposed to just stick his fingers in your mouth. And it is something that like, you know, I think it's a perfect example that you brought up of um, when women say it's not sexy or attractive if you ask me if you can kiss me or if you can hold my hand, it ruins the moment. I need women to understand and accept that when you say something like that, you are saying that you want men to guess where your boundaries are. And then you are also reserving the right to hold it against them when they guess wrong. You get me? Yeah. And that is not fuck unjust unjust or whatever it is not conducive to you having a good relationship forget about the men that you are unfairly setting up you personally women are not going to reach happiness and fulfillment by having these types of relationships where you refuse to communicate to a man what your boundaries are and then want to hold it against him when he doesn't know what your boundaries are in the same way that I just men, like it also comes from, you know, I don't in any way, I'm not in any way blaming women only. I am speaking to women because as a woman, I'm like, we can't actually change men, but we can change ourselves. We can change ourselves and the way that we present ourselves and the way we present our expectations and our boundaries and communicate stuff. And to me, if you're saying to a man who asks you, if it's okay to kiss you or touch you or hold your hand, that that's some pussy shit he shouldn't be doing because that fucking turns you off and makes your pussy dry. You are a woman who's encouraging rape culture and who is against the idea of being treated like an equal who has to communicate about their boundaries. Yeah. I mean, not to that, like, th- it's a problem of traditionalism. Yeah, totally. Everything's trans. Yeah. You've heard the podcast before. But like They're my enemies. <laughs> I mean, you know what, like not to be overly apologetic to the male point of yeah. view here, but like you start coming from it. This is like a confusing thing to be thrown into because yeah. like you are being told you're a pussy if you do the right thing. And like you have to figure it out and then just hope that somewhere along the way you didn't make any mistake that could be like fucking, you know, uh like life threatening, like you know, threaten your very existence or whatever. That's why to me, women are in the same position. I know, but like my my advice, if you're a guy and you're like kind of you know stuck in this quandary or whatever, is you know what women are attracted to most of the time is like confidence and like being assertive and stuff like that. And yet this quandary here, right? Just be assertive about the fact that you're not going to do that shit. And that Unless you tell do, me it's okay. Yeah. yeah. And do things on your own fucking yeah. terms, you know, and make your terms totally. the ones that are safer for you. Absolutely. And I would say to you, I love having these conversations with you because I do think that we are covering both sides of the spectrum on this. And I don't mean to be binary, but this is like a cis conversation. I think it is something that people who date non-cis people get to avoid most often because non-cis people have had to be very um, determinate and like pre-considered about all of their decisions and their stances on things. Whereas cis people kind of just like are on autopilot, right? <laughs> with the, like whatever society tells them. All the, the, all yeah. the problems with like trad shit and heteronormativity yeah. and all this stuff are that all of these things are happening by like compulsory nature and default yeah. and automatic. And uh, what is the term like de facto? All those facto, dynamics yeah. are like happening and they're causing all this 
stuff that, you know, 99% of the time when there's a fucking problem, it's like, because you didn't talk about it. And why didn't you talk exactly. about it? Because you're operating this like an invisible yeah. fucking assumptions. assumptions. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And so when you say that the men's quandary is that you're told you're supposed to be manly in all these ways and like demand and grab and take, the women's quandary is equally fucking fucked up, Jake, which is you are supposed to pretend that you're not a sexual being and that you don't want sex in the same way that men want sex because that devalues you. So you are supposed to play this hard to get game of like, I'm interested in you, but not that far, (laughs) you know, like. It is extremely confusing and shitty, not just to the men who are having to deal with this, but also to us women where we're just like, oh, I'm supposed to, I can't act like I like him too much because then he will think that I'm just like a easy and slutty. And so I'm supposed to like act like not available, which means that I'm expecting him to push past that boundary of I'm not available to demand my time and attention. That in and of itself is rapey. <laughs> you understand? So I just want all people of all genders to realize that like the assumptions and expectations of how you think relationships are supposed to go or how you think you're supposed to behave in them or how you think the partner is supposed to behave in them. You, you just cannot assume that the other person has the same assumptions and expectations and you need to communicate about them if you want the right kind of relationship. And to me, whenever like I hear a woman say something like, oh, well, that's not sexy that he asked me if he could kiss me. It's just so disappointing because you don't realize that you're reifying the idea that everybody should magically know what the other person wants and where their boundaries are. And this idea that they would magically know is what makes everybody who crosses those boundaries automatically an abuser. When that's not fucking fair. Because there are people who are predators who are purposely making plans to abuse you and manipulate you and fucking do shit to you. And those people are not the same as people who are blindly fucking banging their heads into a wall because they're not clear on what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. That's not the same. Being a fucking idiot is not the same as being a predator. I know. But those women also don't really understand their part of the situation either. It's just, yeah. it goes all the way fucking down. You know? Around, yeah, totally. It sucks. But, like, fuck it to put a why you mad pin on this. Monogamy's, like, you're, you can't woke up and clean up the system itself because it's intrinsically based on, like, treating women like property, you know? Like, yeah. this is, like, I don't know, kind of a hacky premise or whatever, but I think it's true, which is that, like, monogamy is very like kinky and weird and it's just never understood that way because it's so like <laughs> normal but like i don't know i was just thinking about like weddings because i did an episode of pda on this wedding cult that's like really into, <laughs> wed- like getting, Wed- have, weddings wedding. are creepy as fuck dude your fucking father brings the woman yeah, down the dude, st- you're being <laughs> given away as a fucking like a cow yeah like there's like rings and yeah. shit that mean you don't have sex at certain times I think weddings are so disgusting all and all that comes goes back in history to a time when the more Mm -hmm. disgusting part of that was more blatant and just like out of the do you understand that when weddings were first started you you obviously know about the concept of a dowry yeah but i think that people don't understand that the concept of the dowry was like 
uh, I want to give you my cow, by which I mean my daughter, <laughs> so that you can marry her so that I can have a better position and more security in society through the fact that our families are now aligned. But I know she's just a fucking female cow. Nobody wants that. So how about I also give you some sheep and some linens <laughs> and some, some fucking bricks, <laughs> like yeah. some gold. So you'll take this bitch off our hands because she's not useful. She's not agricultural. She can't pull the plow. I can't do anything with this bitch. So I really fucking need her. Marriage is disgusting. (laughs) It is a disgusting institution that literally was about treating women as cows who have land rights attached to them. And no matter how much you want to dress it up and put on a pretty dress and do your own vows, you're still participating in this fucking disgusting institution. And that's why I've only been in I've only been to one wedding my whole entire life. Really? And I think it's because people don't invite me to their weddings. Because, <laughs> I wonder why. Uh, yeah, because I've been public about this opinion about weddings for my entire life, basically. Uh, and I'm okay with it. I have no problem with it. The only wedding I've ever been to was like two queer people married. And uh, it was like a goth wedding in a backyard. <laughs> it was awesome. It's cute. And they got married and they had two kids. And then they got divorced. And I think I've mentioned this on here before. And then they got divorced. And now they live across the street from each other. And the woman is a lesbian who's married to a woman. And the man is a solo bachelor who dates openly. And he lives in the house across the street. So they share their parenting duties equally. That's cool. And the kids have two homes. And they're all connected and, you know, safe and have a bigger extended family while both of the parents get to live their true lives and be their true selves. And so I'm super proud of the fact that the only wedding I've ever attended is like the most non-traditional wedding <laughs> you could ever think of. Yeah. I have no interest in any of your trad's weddings. <laughs> that's I fucking A, man. That's cool. Yeah. Cross the street. That's a good deal. Do you want to yeah. talk about this fucking TV show that I can't stop thinking about? Let's talk about Euphoria because I was telling you, dude, I was telling you you should watch it because I think you would love it. How do you feel about it? Do you uh, love it? I fucking love it, man. <laughs> I watched the whole goddamn thing in like a week. Hey, yeah. Or up till it's, it's a, in, in the second season right now or whatever. But like, nah. Yeah. I mean, I had an inkling. Like I'd seen trailers and stuff and I was like, oh, that looks cool. It looks like a fucking Safdie Brothers movie. Like just yeah. cinematography wise or whatever. And like the drugs and shit looks cool i did see a tweet this week that where somebody was like i don't somebody i don't follow it's like a viral tweet where they were saying like every episode of euphoria is like 10 minutes of plot and 40 minutes of a music video well the director <laughs> and i'm like yeah that's fair <laughs> i think the director is like a music video director He's yeah like spike jones or like one of those types yeah. of people or whatever but that's like yeah. fucking cool like why don't why aren't all whatever i'm watching it i'm like yelling at the screen like why doesn't all tv look like this because all of yes. it has the fucking capacity to it's right there you're allowed to be surreal and stuff and use the camera in weird ways but most yeah but of you've seen kids obviously right yeah of course oh my god so kids you're you're a bit younger than me so i don't know if you feel about kids as strongly as i feel about kids but kids was a movie that for like mid to early 90s ravers was like dude full revelatory like it was like speaking our language it was talking about the fact that like this is how your life is if you're a city kid who has like you know is a latchkey kid and you get to freely run around 
you have all these friends who are even less policed and parented than you are. So they did all this crazy shit. So watching kids was something that for me growing up, and I think for a lot of the younger Gen X and older millennials, was this like example, or not example, but representation, right? Like representation about the fact that we're not living as innocent of a life as you think that we are. Yeah. Right. And to me, euphoria, what's most interesting about it is the response to it, because there's like a bunch of people that watch it every week, Jake, but they watch it in horror. Like they, <laughs> they watch it being like, oh my God, where are these kids' parents? And like, oh my God, what <laughs> yeah, are they? Yeah. And it, they don't relate in any way and they don't they don't have an experience they can reference of like having a friend that you clearly know is in trouble and doesn't have the family and framework to sustain and help them or being exposed to people and kids who are transitioning and who are dealing with like feeling completely left out from their parents' world and dealing with drug addiction at a very young age. And to me, I'm just like, yo, you're telling on yourself so bad that you were fucking losers <laughs> in high school who had no <laughs> friends, who didn't ever break a rule or have fun. <laughs> That's you what's suck. so yeah. interesting about it. Like, okay, so for right to answer your question about kids, I pretty much had that experience with it. it wasn't really a raver. I was more of a other type of weird Pokemon yeah. where I was just drinking a lot of forties and smoking cigarettes and shit, mm-hmm. um, driving around and kind of do. I did a lot of driving around to go drink. That's under the raver umbrella, <laughs> yeah, like a parking lot or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, but like when that movie came out, it was like the type of tape you had to get a hold of, and you know, it was like watching Faces of Death or something. Like you weren't yes. supposed to be watching it, and the thing that was so cool about it is it was simultaneously really shocking and also was a mirror like it was weird because you were like man this is so crazy to watch kids like this on tv and it's like you know all these taboos are being broken you're not supposed to talk about aids you're not supposed to see this guy's dick getting slapped around the you know between his fucking legs and shit or even casper just trying to get laid yeah just like the numbers game of it yeah you know like kids yeah. being represented the way like it, it's it's weird because you could you could watch it through the lens of an adult and be shocked by it but you also would be like it's absurd that we're being shocked by this because that's literally us like we're literally going yeah. to stop do, watching this movie and go out and do that shit and yeah. it's, but it was uh fascinating the way it like broke this paradigm and then people reacted to it differently and the euphoria thing you're talking about i've been chewing on all week because i like i think it's really funny that people will tell on themselves by going like, there was like some viral tweet that was like, you know, at my school, we just had crazy sock day or whatever the fuck. (laughs) And like, you know, that's what a fucking nerd. (laughs) My impulse when I hear stuff like that is to go, okay, the math on this is usually that I'm poor and you're rich and therefore I'm cooler than you. And that's why I can relate to people doing drugs in high school. But I thought about it and it didn't quite add up. And I don't think it's that simple because I knew a lot of kids. So when I grew up uh, in Southwest Houston, right, all of the white kids moved away to the suburbs and they all went. That's what I was saying. Suburbs kid. Right. So it's about suburbs kids. Right. That's it. Because in like, I liked the vibe and stuff, but it was adjacent to where I was at. Like I really liked Rue, Same but, as Miami and adjacent to it. Yeah. But no, the, we like Fez. 
right? Yeah. You oh, like yeah. fez. Oh, absolutely. I knew a hundred. You like fez. I knew a hundred yeah. fezes. <laughs> I knew several fezes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So my thing was, I was watching it and I was like, uh, you know, if this show was actually about me and my friends growing up, which it doesn't have to be. I don't need TV to be about yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Or, or entertainment. I was like, I was, la- I was thinking to myself, what me and my friends did is we'd get a fucking, we'd go to the bodega, see if we could get the fucking guy to give us a 40, you know, illegally. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, We'd, yeah. Uh, drink Robitussin until we threw yeah. up. Stuff like this is like kind of not being presented on there. But like in the sh- on fucking Euphoria, they're doing hard drugs, and that shit happens in the suburbs at rich kids' houses because totally. they have like the means and resources to actually like get addicted to heroin when you're in like yeah. fucking junior year of high school or whatever. Totally, I did not know any heroin addicts when I was in high school. No, I that's got to be clear about well, it's that. White yeah, man's like, crack. We were doing ecstasy, yeah, but we were not doing that. Sh- no, totally, you're absolutely right, and I think that. You know, that's an important thing to remember about Euphoria is that it's set in like Ojai, I believe, which is like uh, Southern California, pretty like Ted Danson lives there. Okay, okay? It's like a pretty uh, affluent neighborhood or area of California. So there is no such thing as a kid who is like going through socioeconomic hardships. And that's why they went through drug to drug use in euphoria euphoria is a hundred percent like that's what makes euphoria different from kids is that kids actually did have a mix of classes mm-hmm. right because kids was about uh like a group of a diverse group of kids in new york city some of which were working class poor kids they were like literally latch kid keys that had a single parent home and so there was nobody watching them but they were hanging out with rich upper east side kids that had the drugs and came to hang out you get me yeah euphoria is not that euphoria is a hundred percent a privileged um suburban kid problem of like dude if you were in rehab by the time you were 15 you were privileged (laughs) because poor 15 year olds don't go to rehab right they just poor poor 15 year olds stay addicted are on drugs get arrested (laughs) or get arrested yeah yeah exactly (laughs) So euphoria is this like picture of privilege struggling with existence and acceptance and like all these things that are real and we all have to struggle with. But that's what makes it interesting is that it's like, oh, your little like uh, closed off neighborhood with the pools and shit and the private schools and whatever didn't keep you from having to see the darkness of life and having to have some experiences that lower you. Yeah. That's great. And that's what makes it interesting. And so I think the people who are watching Euphoria and being like, oh my God, this is crazy. (laughs) I can't possibly relate (laughs) are actually more privileged (laughs) than the people being represented in Euphoria. Do you think that's what the split is? Yeah, dude. Privileged in what way though? Privileged in the way of like, because one thing about Rue, for example, is like, yeah, so she's like middle class. She's in a, uh, what do you call it, a gated community in Ojai, uh, going to a school that is mostly full of other white kids or white passing kids that are in a privileged situation also. But she is also not white, not straight, uh, and a product of a single parent household, Right. So it's almost like the karate kid thing where like you are in a world that is uh, above your class, but you yourself are of the lowest levels of that class. You get me? Yeah. So Rue 
And even jewels are interesting in that way because they are going through experiences that are set outside of how privileged they are. But all the people who are watching someone like Rue and Jules go through everything they're going through and you just cannot relate. You must be of a, of a class where you just have never experienced the idea of being ostracized and you have never experienced real danger of not being wanted or loved or accepted. That I think is almost as real as class. You know what I mean? Like it's when, when I talk about being non-trad or being queer, that's what I mean is you can be a part of the socioeconomic class of being middle class, but that does not make you the same as a trad cis person who is of your class and accepts everything about the class that they're in. When you are a person who rejects everything about your class because you know your class will reject you if they really knew who you were. Yeah. Does that make sense? I don't know. So, I don't like, know. I don't. I'm going. I relate to Rue, even though I think Rue is more privileged than I am. Yeah. And I hate people who are mad at Rue because I think they are more privileged than Rue and don't understand how she could be a person stuck in this situation. I'm kind of going in circles trying to, like, really put this in a specifically class-oriented lens. I kind of don't think it's 100% that. And I think part of that is that high school itself is, like, kind of the last place you are before class really makes itself more felt because there's this... um, there's, you don't have a job or anything, yeah. Yeah, you don't have a job. And also, like, here's an example. Like, when I was a kid, um, I went to, like, a school where you had to wear the uniforms that they, you know, the fucking stupid polos and khakis and stuff. Yeah. You ever seen uh, season four of The Wire when the kids have to wear those stupid polos and khakis? I had to go to school with uniforms, yeah. Yeah, uh, I had to wear those. And I, when I was a kid, I, I hated them because I was a little angry punk kid. And it was like, this is, you know, you're doing 1984 to me. You're trying to express yeah. my individuality but uh a teacher explained it to me one time and it really kind of blew my mind which is uh they said that the reason that they make they come to like neighborhoods like this and make people wear uniforms is because if you weren't wearing uniforms it'd be a lot more obvious who the poor kids were who the poor kids they'd, like are, had yeah. shitty clothes and stuff like that because clothes are a way that you express your fucking like class and stuff class, over people yeah. and use it to like bully people so they were trying to like take that out of the equation and there's a lot of ways yeah. in which the the dream that you're in in high school a dream-like state that it's like you know nascent it's like before you're kind of born into the world is devoid of all that stuff and like the other thing i'm, I'm kind of having trouble with is like this main character nate is like a guy who i when i was watching the show i was like um i no, this guy did not go to my high school like i just didn't we didn't have one <laughs> but they, i never met one yeah they yeah. were all all yeah. out in the fucking suburbs at those rich yeah. kid schools and stuff and like you know maybe i've seen this person or whatever interact with them a few times or whatever but i was like I, this thing you're saying about how like the kids in the show that are going through all this crazy stuff are less privileged than other the people who can't relate to it i'm watching this guy and i'm going this guy's very privileged and his life is fucked up Me. so like yeah i think this is maybe more of like a bojack horseman succession type situation where we're seeing the dark side of some of those people's lives but i don't think it's a higher well but but you don't think it's uh so i'm counting privilege as having a good father figure who doesn't who is not in the closet gay and regrets <laughs> having you you understand I me mean, that is a privilege jake like being a middle class person who comes from a 
family where they loved the trad shit and they were all into it and nobody in your parents and like grandparents regrets having you. Yeah. That is a privilege compared to being like Nate. You know? Okay, so like there's there were, versions of yeah. Nate that don't have that going on that aren't yeah, like, all fucked up and evil. That's so, the factor. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. Yes. So, like, there were people this week who were mad about the fact that the episode, the last episode, was so much about Cal, Nate's dad. Oh, that was great. Those people are idiots. It was great. They're <laughs> idiots. Yeah, dude. Yeah. It was not in any way redemptive of Cal. It didn't wash him and make him better. People are such fucking but losers when it comes to they're TV. They're fucking losers, they just want, yeah. They want TV to be like, good people are good and bad people are bad. And that's yeah, it. And, like, dude. Everybody uses the term glorifying whenever they talk about TV. Yeah. It's like, that's not what fucking stories do. They're not like a good person, good, bad person, bad. They explore the tangled web that we all live in. All of us. Any one of you could have been born Cal. Isn't that fucked up? Absolutely. So here's what I want to say about Cal. I guess this is my defense of Cal, which is fucked up because Cal is a person who was fucking an underage or is fucking underage (laughs) trans girls and who knows, underage people of all genders, probably. Spoilers. That's the first episode of the show. So don't worry about that. But we are going to spoil like where it's at right now. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I I am not at all justifying the fact that he's a grown ass man picking up underage people on apps. That is not justifiable. Okay, but what I think is interesting about Cal and why I think it is merited that they center him in certain episodes is because of this idea of like, did we are made by our parents? You know, like our map. In, in terms of like what we understand a relationship to be like and, and romance and affection and love to be like is set by our parents. So if Nate's was set by a man who was uh, being a dad and being a cis man in a very like you're forcing me to do it way and who was spending his entire life regretting not being his real self and not really pursuing the love of his life and not being the true gay man that he wanted to be that is going to affect your children your children will fucking be fucked up and have relationships that are fucked up and understand interpersonal relationships to be this fucked up kind of lie dishonest bullshit because that is what they saw Yeah, you get me so in this last episode where Cal kind of like He flips out and he kind of just like admits to his family that he's gay and he's a piece of shit. But like all of you are fucking crazy. (laughs) You know, (laughs) everybody's just like, oh, well, why are we even like focusing on Cal? Dude, because the whole reason that Nate is the way he is is because of Cal. And the whole reason that Cal is the way he is is because of society. (laughs) And it fucking it's like a little avalanche that keeps going down and affecting every generation afterwards. Yeah, and it's also so affecting I, everyone at their high school. Everyone <laughs> at their high school. Exactly. So because how do you expect Nate to have healthy relationships if he can only mirror whatever Cal did, which was all a lie and yeah. was never about being himself. There's a great and, scene where Cal has like a sex worker in a hotel and he's like yeah. talking himself through this and going yeah. like do you think the fact that I am not able to be who I am is somehow affecting everyone around me and yeah. their, and my children's children, et cetera, or whatever? Dude, my arm hair is just went up. It is brilliant. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, brilliant, dude. Brilliant. And every fucking idiot that is watching this being like, why do we have to fucking pay attention to Cal? Why are dude, we glorifying Cal? The fucking sex Nobody's worker. glorifying Cal, you fucking idiot. That's They're what... actually laying Cal extremely bare and flaying him alive to <laughs> show you that he is the negative example of like, 
forcing yourself to be a trad when you're not really one. Right. He is the example of he he did quote all the right things, which were he got a girl pregnant. So instead of following his dreams and his love and his dick, he married the girl that he got pregnant and he became a dad to that fucking kid. And then what happens 20 years later? He's not a good dad and he didn't make good kids and he doesn't have a good relationship with the woman that he knocked up and he's not happy and she's not happy and his kids aren't happy. So it is actually the biggest fucking example of like following traditionalism when it goes against everything that you are and want is not a good thing. Even if you convince yourself that it's the righteous good thing to do, because that's what is expected of you. You are rotten to the core at this point. You can't force you it. Only, yeah, you can't force There's it. There's a you myth only... that you can force yeah. it, and people buy into it, and like it always comes back around. It's like one of those things where you just like you can't leave your dirty laundry in the corner of your room for too mm-hmm. long. There's a great line when he's talking to that sex worker where he's like asking these questions, and the the yeah. sex worker is like kind of a I don't even know what the person would identify as like a androgynous person. Uh, but is like clearly a freak, you know, and just has on all this crazy clothing yeah. and stuff and chains and shit. The sex worker goes, oh, I wouldn't know. Everyone knows who I am. And yeah. you see him like looking in that moment and going like, ah, that could be me. But it's not. Yes, because, because that stuff. sex worker is that's what's interesting about privilege. Right. Because Cal is privileged in the sense of like class and social status. Right. He's uh middle-class dude that's respected in his society has a good house has a good family has a lovely wife everything on paper appears good but he's miserable he's a sad sad man who is trying every single day of his life to recapture some experience of living his true self while doing it all in a very dirty underhanded shitty way whereas that sex worker that he met up with seems on paper to be living a dirty, shitty, unprivileged life. But in reality, is living the life that Cal wishes he had because they're being themselves and they're not lying to anyone about who they are and what they are and what they want. So it's beautiful. You're right. That is a beautiful interaction because it shows the fact that like actually Cal's the bad guy in this situation and the sex worker is the genuine person. Yeah. But it's a yeah. but it's a rhizome. I mean, there's no bad bad guy because you do get like you get a a image of Cal's life, which is all of the fucking circumstances that led a young Cal yeah. into that situation. With very like, it, in order to do any of the things that he did differently, that maybe would have gotten around becoming a family man back then, he would have had to have acted out dick. of the yeah. norm of society at the time. So there's a way of looking at this, which is like you know fucking tragedy and then like life is a fucking tragedy that's usually how these things play out and yeah you're so right but jake but the problem or why i think cal is an interesting character is because uh all of everything we know about what was fucked up that forced him into situations that he's in it does not excuse the fact that he is hooking up with underage people right and sexually abusing them and manipulating them So it does get to a point where like you are no longer innocent because at the point where you chose not to stand up against the traditional expectations, it doesn't make it okay for you then to abuse others 
to get your satisfaction. It was your responsibility at some point to stand up for who you are and be fucking real if you also want to enjoy these kinds of, quote, deviant relationships. Well, abuse you is can't... abuse because it has a fucking, like, outcome. It has a... It hurts somebody, and that's... But that's by... what I mean. So there's no excuse for him abusing others. Right, that's what it's I'm saying. It's not an excuse. Yeah. No, no excuses. It's an explanation. Right, but that's... Yeah. This is... Us- but this is important because this is by and large the explanation when something like this happens in real life hurt people hurt people you know what we have this stupid thing where we want to go there are monsters and there are humans and uh we're gonna find all the monsters and and if we don't glorify them if we say they're bad everyone will understand they're bad it's like this is childish fucking thinking like i don't know why it's so pervasive on the internet i don't think it's as pervasive in real life as it is on the internet but like this it it's fucking just nerve-wracking to read people like not get this because like i mean i don't know there's levels at which i can relate with cal but i also like am watching this show and i'm like i can relate to other people on this show that i have my life is nowhere near their life so like why aren't we capable of this um i i I was thinking about cal a lot this week because and i think this is the last time i'll bring this up i know i always just drag every book i'm reading through this podcast or whatever but like i finished (laughs) tranny the laura jane grace book yeah and there's a parallel that's fucking excellent that book is fucking great if anybody wants to read a really good like rock doc book about something much bigger than being in a band one of the best fucking books i've read in a long time so spoiler you should know this if you're a fan of laura jane grace but like what happens in the story of that band is that they start off as an anarchist punk band, folk punk band, right? They um, then sort of like get some success. And I've talked about this a few times, but I'm going to rehash a couple points because I think I figured it out while I was watching this, right? So there's this moment that Laura Jane Grace describes when they were living as Tom Gable where they like were uh, with their band and like their bandmates are like making fun of some, uh, uh, trans, some gay person or trans person. Some trans yeah. people that they see. Yeah. Yeah. And like they have to sort of like do it with them and stuff. And it's this moment yeah. where they have like this kind of uh, schism and they're like, you know, I feel really terrible about this. Well, I was thinking about this because what happens when um, Against Me gets a little bit more popular is that they make an album that's like way poppier and it's sold on a major label. And so they get called out by punks for being like, you sold out. You're not a fucking anarchist anymore. You're not a punk anymore. And what Laura Jane Grace is describing in the book is the conflict in the moment where they they got offered a lot of money to make kind of a more mainstream album. And also it was the music that she wanted to write. So she's like, well, why wouldn't I do this? But also you're being like criticized on the basis of authenticity by these people who claim to be like super authentic, like stringent. I'm a fucking anarchist. I'm covered in patches and fuck you. I'll spit on you kind of guys. But Laura Jane Grace had the experience that a lot of people have. If you're like, for example, a white passing, uh, you know, Latino or something like that, (laughs) where like, you are around people and they don't know you are the thing that they're making fun of. So they freely talk. Yeah. Then mm-hmm. you realize. And so I think that she realized that a lot of these quote unquote anarchist punks that are around her that claim they're homophobic, to, they're homophobic and, they're trans, and they, yeah. so they're not consistent. And so yeah. if you're about to make a huge deal and make a fucking record and these are the people criticizing you on the basis of authenticity, it's like, you don't know that I know you are actually like bullshitting like you wouldn't do this either and you will probably be a normal fucking person yeah. with two uh, a kid and you know or t- a wife and two kids i'll a kid and two wives um uh, by, <laughs> by like also t- possible 10 years or whatever <laughs> yeah. but like um 
you know, so that that's why they were having this like huge fucking overlap between the the punk stuff and the authenticity, right? And the authenticity thing, like this person was living like kind of you know before, like I mean, fucking everyone of a certain generation can relate to this who's trans, I'm sure, but like you know back then, no one had any language for this stuff. They were having a real like comp- complicated fucking time processing like what it was to be inside a woman, and so it was coming out in yeah. the lyrics and stuff like that. And there's this great fucking song. It's one. Of, it's my one of my favorite against me songs. It's a total fucking why you mad song. Rules. It's called Thrash Unreal, and it's on the album New Wave, which is their quote unquote sellout album, right? So Thrash Unreal is really clever because it sounds. And this is because, you know, this person who I think grew up at a certain time is like a Xennial and was really into Guns N' Roses and hair metal and shit. Ooh, um, uh, <laughs> so Thrash Unreal is this song that sounds like it's about like this hot woman. It kind of sounds like one of those rock songs from the 80s. And it's like, you know, she wants to dance and drink all night or whatever. And it sounds like they're singing about a woman and how hot very and cool, cool and she fun. is. <laughs> but it's yeah. like this person wrote it about themselves. It's about oh. their inner woman. And so there's yeah. all these complicated things that happen in the story where like women in their life like get angry because they're like did you write this song about me, about me? <laughs> it's like, no it's about me it's like no it's about me <laughs> but it's a great fucking song because it yeah. starts off and it goes if she wants to dance and drink all night there's no one that can stop her right so set up yeah. we have a party chick she's fucking cool she's covering tattoos it's 2007 she's a hipster right um yeah. then there's the middle part of it which is that um the chorus is like uh her mother her mother never no woman ever dreams that her mother no, no mother ever dreams that her daughter is going to grow up to be a junkie, right? No mother ever da- dreams that her daughter is going to grow up to sleep alone, right? And it's this thing that keeps Ooh, going and going harsh, and going. Yeah. yeah. And it's like she's yeah. a junkie. She sleeps alone, but she parties yeah. all night or whatever. And then the end of the fucking song is that chorus goes over and over and over. Her daughter is going to be a junkie. She's going to sleep alone. But the end of the song is, and if she had to do it all over again, she wouldn't change anything for the world, right? Hell yeah. Flips the whole fucking thing on its head. Hell and it yeah. Goes, I choose this, right? You might yeah, look dude. at this like judgingly, but I fucking choose this, right? This is why I think it's the quintessential fucking song of that band because of what yeah. was going on. Because eventually what happens is, you know, this person just goes through their life and they fucking meet somebody and they get married and they have a kid. And there's like a great song, love song between them, this woman, Heather or whatever on that album, too. It's all happening at the same time. And eventually, like over the years and through the process of being in a band that gets signed in and out of major labels and yada, 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 they hit a wall and they've had a kid. The kid's two years old and they go. I have to transition. I'm like going bald. This thing's like bursting out of me. So she comes out to her wife. She comes out to her fucking kid. She comes out to the band, turns into this huge fucking thing. They have right up in Rolling Stone. Then the rest is kind of history or whatever. But what happens is, so she is like going through the process that I'm sure is very difficult. And it was probably a lot more difficult back then of getting estrogen and like getting doctors to prescribe you this stuff and having the doctors like, you know, look at you with their little notepad and scowl and go, are you sure you want to do this? Have you thought about it? And whatever. And so she's going through all this stuff and is having like fucking fallout and weird fights with like her dad won't talk to her anymore and shit. And like all this crazy shit, people quit the band and stuff. And she starts recording a new album, like the last album of this 
time period of the book or whatever. It's about being trans and they're going to get all this stuff out of their system. And they're on like hormones. They finally get them, but they're like fucking losing their mind. And like in the recording of the album, they're like fucking crying and shaking all this shit. Goes and has a mental breakdown, you know, in like the studio that they built and stuff. Crazy, crazy, crazy. And there's this bottom, like rock bottom that he described. I was crying when I was reading this book. It was so fucking intense, man. They talked about how, like, you know, basically what they went through is that at one point their daughter came up to them while while she was, like, dressed as a woman. And the kid's only two years old. But the daughter was like, Daddy, I don't want you to be a girl. I want you to be a boy again, right? Crazy fucking heartbreaking. Oh, that's so sad. As she's hitting, like, rock bottom, she's, like, thinking about all this. And she's going, like, she's having these regrets and going, like... I th- what if I've made a horrible mistake? I destroyed my band. Oh, no. I destroyed my marriage. My kid doesn't like me. You know, all this stuff. What if this was just like a perverted fantasy that I just sort of like, you know, chased? I should have kept to myself. Right. right. And it yeah. could have been contained in all this stuff. And like, yeah. I'm just some fucking weird tranny. You know, most people can keep control themselves and not, and not do this sort of stuff or whatever. Yeah. Fucking losing their fucking mind. Right. Then what happens after that is like you know some heart-to-heart conversations and shit and whatnot and um eventually getting back on hormones and stuff and writing the album and getting all the fucking creative process to get through the thing out of their system and stuff and the end of the story is you know she fucking broke up with her wife because that didn't work out and that's fine you know and they're still friends and stuff and like her wife is not you know whatever like it's like fine it's a fine story they have the kid together she goes and like the end of the book is like kind of the scene as she's got like this new sort of somebody comes back into the band there's like fucking cool new members of the band and shit everything's going fine and she's with her fucking daughter and they're, she's hanging out with her daughter and Joan Jett. And she's like, we're about to go walk on stage together. My daughter gets to grow up with like me as her fucking, you know, whatever yeah. parent and stuff. And it's like everything kind of comes up roses. But this crash is described real hard. And it's like almost like they almost kill themselves, you know? Yeah. And like the the thing that I that's pivotal to this, it's so similar to Cal, is that like there's a moment where this person like, like, I, I mean – the the decision to either be like to take active control over your life or to let things dictate and you ride passively are what lead people into situations like this that where they want to kill themselves and shit like that and it, yeah. you can't do it like you can't do that it would have affected like her i think it's the thing that's so good about the story yeah. is that her daughter would have had a worse life had her father grown up or had she grown up with a father who was like a closeted trans person who was like hating themselves the whole totally time. well and there's this other thing that has to be accepted of like um a lot of times people who are not trad they try really hard to be trad, you know, like they try really hard to do the thing that's expected of them and find a mate that is expected of them and to give that mate the things they want you to give to them and to have the kid because that's what you're supposed to do. And unfortunately, a lot of times they come to the realization of who they are after those attempts to be trad. And therefore they now have a wife or a kid who has to deal with the fallout of you coming out and being yourself. 
And that does suck. You know, it sucks. It's not any wife or girlfriend or partner or child's responsibility to have to deal with the fact that you weren't able to acknowledge who you wanted to be before you walked down this path that affected other people. But it is so common that I think that we need to learn to understand that it's okay. Like you don't have to be 17 and know who you are and come out as gay or queer or whatever at 17. A lot of people feel the pressure to be quote normal and cis and all this stuff for a very long time and don't ever get the courage or the impetus or the drive to break free from it until they're in their mid thirties or early forties. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, it wasn't a malicious revelation it wasn't intended to hurt anybody's feelings i almost think like you should give them credit for the fact that they were denying themselves for so long and trying to be everything everybody else wanted of them yeah and it took this long for them to break down and be like i can't do it anymore i need to admit who i really am it seems to me like this story with laura jane grace is like one that's really kind of compelling because you it's like escaping the bad outcome by the skin of her teeth whereas yeah. with cal you get the other story yeah. full in yeah yeah he's all in the bad story it's yeah. fucking dark and like he, he knows his kids it, bad too. yeah totally absolutely i don't know it's terrifying you know i mean it is bad yeah no cal is not at all being glorified because episodes are about him i almost really want people to understand that Every time there is an episode that is about Cal, it is really about the fact that he his choices affected all the people in his life and the people in his life shouldn't make the same choices as him. So the whole point of the whole Cal thing is that Nate should not be making the same choices as Cal. Right. Uh, he's in like a situation where yeah. that's the reason he's such a crazy character. Cause at first you're like, yeah. Oh, this guy's evil. But then you are like, wait a minute. No, he's a link he's a in dork. a chain. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, yeah. he's, it's a pivotal moment here for this mm -hmm. character to like stop the cycle of abuse. But can they, will but they? Can he? Yeah. No. Yeah, exactly. So, Overall, I think that Euphoria is a, a show worth watching for everybody because it does sh it does like shed light on the fact that like regardless of your gender, we are all really fucked up by what society teaches us is supposed to be our behavior or expectations or all this shit. And then we put it on other people and other people put it on us. And we keep trying to like judge these interpersonal relationships as whether they're genuine or not while we're both coming at them in a very non-genuine way with our own expectations of bullshit without even knowing the person and what their boundaries and desires and expectations are. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I love Euphoria. That is where I would end. <laughs> I think it's great. And that if you can't relate to it, you are probably like the most cis, straight, normal, <laughs> middle-class, non-gendered person, probably like, yeah, because you are not examining it all or taking uh, risks in your choices and your experiences. And you, if you can't even understand how the people in Euphoria got in the situation that they're in, you're probably in denial about the situation that you are in. 
Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing might be the factor between people that can relate and can't relate might literally be like this, like kind of trad, you know, queer thing because like you can make it through high school without really thinking about any of this shit and just going to class every day and then going to prom and being in a club and stuff. And that's probably somebody who, (coughs) but it might root from not having any like conflict at home or in their personal life or whatever, but just never having to like really think about the, the, like whether or not never being faced with like a fork in the road, like I'm describing with like the Laura Jane Grace thing or whatever. That is a fork that like, that is a fork that imposed itself on a person, right? There was no decision there. In fact, there right, was... Right, but both Cal and Nate chose the wrong fork. That's what I'm right? saying. But they had yeah. forks to begin with, which is what I'm saying. Yeah, like, they had forks, yeah. My... But they didn't choose the fork that Laura Jane chose. That's what I'm saying. But I, what I'm saying yeah. is uh, maybe my theory of, like, if you can't relate to any of this is you literally never had the fork. Like, you probably maybe just had a life mm-hmm. that was a straight line yeah, yeah. because that is possible if you're, true, true, true. if you're in the right situation. And, like, I don't yeah. know. I mean, there's other things that go into this, like location. No time to get into it. Uh, but generation, like, I was thinking about a lot because, like, this well, watching this was, like, terrifying because I was like, make you imagine what it's like to be, like, a teenager right now with, like, smartphones. Yeah. Everyone busts out their phones and shit like that. But also, like, something I think was really compelling about the Cal story was that when he meets, uh, what's her name, Jules, for the first time, you get this thing where he goes, you young people have it so good now, like, you're so yeah, free. Yeah, because you can just be yourself, yeah. And that's part of this, too, is, like, uh, you know, the human fucking species, as, like, things keep going, like, you, it's, you, everyone watching the show might find it really easy to look at Cal and go, this is an evil white man who's like, you know, closeted and fuck him. And he's Mike Pence and all this stuff. But like, you live in a time and place. What I'm saying is a time, like you live in a generation where you could, you can go to Euphoria High School and be fucking weird and queer and shit. And it's, but he didn't, he didn't at all. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I agree with you a hundred percent. And I think that, um, that's why the Cal storyline is in there. And it is absolutely valid and interesting. Uh, I love the show. I'm into it. But I did see somebody tweet about how it can't possibly go beyond three seasons. And I agree. It can't. It would be weird. Uh, It would be weird. I really have to pee really bad. Can I pee before we close it out? Yep. Okay. Be right back. All right. Okay. Um, Man, I could talk about Euphoria forever, but we probably have to stop at some point. Um, Go team. I know, but I'm super happy that you, A, caught up, but B, that you are on this wavelength with me about the Cal thing because so many people were mad about why an episode has to be about him. And again, they read it as like glorifying or like cleaning his reputation by focusing on him. And I think it's so the opposite, dude. It's so much a reference to the fact that generational trauma is real and that the fact that Nate is a person who is now hurting Maddie and Cassie is a direct result of the fact that he was hurt by his father, who is a person who tried his hardest to be trad and good and right, and then found that he couldn't be that. Right. And there was always this like version of him that was hidden and that wasn't real. Traditionalism is a fucking perverted curse if it's not really what you feel in your heart. Yeah, I mean, he's the character is like an embodiment of systemic problems. That's why it's fucking yeah. awesome. It's not yeah. like Darth Vader or some shit where it's always oh, just yeah. a bad guy or or whatever. Or like 
what are the conclusions even that people want to come to when they want to think about things that way? That there's just evil like people genetically or that like everything can be reduced to just like these biases or whatever. No, man. Well, I think you're right about the way that you put it before is that um, it's easy to frame Cal as like middle class white man, white man who is like automatically privileged because of his position. But he's really not because the pressures of his position make it Im- almost impossible for him to self-realize. Yeah. So, you know, it's weird because it's like, uh, I totally understand why people bristle at the idea of like thinking of Cal as a victim because he is an abuser to others. But again, like you said, every abuser is someone who was abused before yeah and i just don't understand why you would refuse to acknowledge that because it's you're not really dealing with the cause the causal factor in abusers if you refuse to admit where they came from and why they came about but only want to punish them for their quote abusive behavior so there's also a thing with like liberal bullshit where you go I think that a long time ago, a lot of very smart people identified privilege as an explanation for why someone is coming from a certain point of view and why and that point of view is wrong. And so you started throwing the word privilege around and going, you know, well, you're saying that because you're privileged. And then another generation of people came along and heard that and went, oh, it's bad to be privileged. So I'm just going to be angry at people for being privileged yeah it's like no that was like a symptom not the disease you know exactly yeah um but so if you disagree with us (laughs) do not dm me personally (laughs) email a show email a show at whyyoumadpod at gmail.com we do uh what do you call it um mailbag episode every two weeks at least uh we might start doing more if we get more give us money Give us money. We'll do more work for you. We believe in the capitalist system, even though we hate it. So, yeah, that's all I got to say. Do you have anything you want to plug? You're doing a show in February, yeah? Yeah, I have a lot of shit. Um, okay, so I my live show, Meat Space Comedy, is back at the gutter February 15th uh, in at New York City, baby, Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Um, I have another show that is happening on this website called Rush Ticks. It's like an online comedy club. They've done stuff with Pat and Oswald, Maria Bamford, and all those sorts of people. Pretty cool, right? Um, I'm doing like a like a Zoom show, but I'm, I'm putting my whole back into these fucking Zoom shows. I don't just talk into my computer when I do this stuff. Um, I'm writing material for it. So 10 bucks, come on out. Get tickets in advance. Um, and then also, what the fuck? I have another thing. I guess my tour with Eve Six is going to be announced next week, and it's in April, and it's nationwide. Um, and then Pod Damn Can't America. I think I have another thing, but I could be wrong. I don't know. Fuck it. Pin tweet. It'll pin. be on the pin tweet. There you go. Pin tweet. <laughs> my pin tweet. Look at it. Boom. Yeah, I got nothing. I don't do shit. I just have sex and make pots and go to work. <laughs> <laughs> Those are good plugs. Mm, those are my plugs. Bye. Bye.